John chapter 6, verse number 30. John 6:30. They said therefore unto Jesus, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father gave you the true bread from heaven. Moses didn't give you the true bread. My father gave you the true bread. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Speaking of himself. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Skip down to verse 47. Merrily, merrily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness. They're dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, touching his own chest, I'm sure, he shall live forever. And the bread I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. We ask, Heavenly Father, your blessing on our consideration of your scripture. Uh, simple thoughts. Father, I pray that they would be sharpened by the Holy Spirit and driven into hearts that need them. Lord, we all can be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You've probably heard the old saying, the more things change, the more they stay the same. It's fun to research old phrases like that. It's easy to do on the internet these days, but before I had access to a computer, <coughs> excuse me, before the internet, I used a book, it's sitting right there off to my left in my library, about uh, arm high there, uh, called Morris Dictionary of Word and Phrase Origins. Where did that word come from? What did that phrase originate in? Through the years, I have spent many hours in that book, and they're a lot of fun. The more things change, the more they stay the same. The phrase is attributed to a German philosopher named Carr, but it's better known coming from the lips of Winston Churchill back in our father's or grandfather's day, and from the, George, uh, the pen of George Bernard Shaw. The article that I read pointed out that perhaps its real origin lies in the Bible. Ecclesiastes 1.9, the thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. There's no new thing under the sun. There is no new thing under the sun. Ah, there's new technology, but you know... It's really not. It's just cleaning up stuff, shall we put it that way? Another of those corny, tried, well-worn phrases 
absolutely true phrases is those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it. That quote came from the British statesman Edmund Burke, who is considered to be the philosophical father of conservative uh, uh, politics. The article which I read about that quotation, quotation then referred to Hitler's Operation Barbossa, his attack upon Russia, which almost completely duplicated Napoleon's attack on Russia a hundred years earlier, both of which ended in absolute disaster. Hitler failed to learn from the earlier history, and now Hitler is only a piece of uh, history himself. Both phrases are true. The more things change, the more they stay the same. And history, or those who ignore history, are doomed to repeat it. One of these days, very soon, according to the Bible, there is going to be a man who will pretend to be the Lord Jesus Christ. His, this ultimate false Christ, this antichrist, this evil Christ, is going to offer to people what they demanded from the Lord Jesus in the Word of God. Christ Jesus, the Son of God, refused to give the people what they demanded. But this Antichrist will promise to fulfill their wishes and deceive them into thinking that he can fulfill all of their joys, all of their desires without God. The fact is, there have been false Christs in this world almost since the days of the Lord Jesus himself. And even today, there are still people who claim to be Christ incarnate. But there will be a day, perhaps only a few weeks or months from now, when the final and ultimate Antichrist will present himself to the world with his promises. He will come into this world when it is in bad shape. And it is in bad shape. And he will offer things which the Jews demanded of Jesus here in John 6 and elsewhere. The more things change, the more they stay the same. This Antichrist will make promises of bread in every oven and beans in every pot. He will appear to heal the sick. He will appear to raise the dead. He will even himself appear to rise from the grave. The more things change, the more they stay the same. This Antichrist will make all sorts of promises. In additionally, additionally, he will offer and orchestrate peace between nations, which is something that uh, we've been trying to do for a very long time, humanly speaking. But it will be too late. By that time, there will be a great many people who wear the mark of the beast. And there is no peace for them, none whatsoever. Eventually, those people will be judged at the great white throne, hearing the words of their condemnation and execution. The more things change, the more they stay the same. The people who will struggle to live through the great tribulation will be much like the people here in John chapter 6. But what they demanded 2,000 years ago was, in essence, denied by the true Christ 
at that time. Jesus tried to show them that in their ignorance, they wanted nothing but mud pies when he had something far more important to share with them, if they would just take it. They wanted meat that would satisfy them for another day or with leftovers maybe two days when he was offering the food of eternity. The more things change, the more they stay the same. We still want things for today and don't care much about eternity. By the time of this chapter, the Lord Jesus was nearing the height of his short-lived popularity. He was healing sick people. He was feeding thousands of people on more than one occasion. He was raising the dead. But throughout his ministry, he was teaching that these physical miracles are not as important as things eternal. There is little point in curing cancer if the person is going to die later and be cast into hell. What good is it to raise the dead if those people now living will die a second time, perhaps more horribly than the first time, and then be separated from God? And the feeding of 5,000 here and 4,000 over there didn't keep those same people from wanting more food the next day. Isn't it true that the people of this world are still primarily concerned about material things rather than spiritual things? Aren't our neighbors more concerned about uh, curing cancer than uh, loving Christ? And isn't there a tendency even in our own hearts to worry more about physical health than our fellowship with the Lord. It's a natural thing in us. It's a part of our, our, our nature. Aren't the people that we work with almost totally consumed with paying the bills, putting some food on the table, and having a little extra to enjoy tomorrow with our games and our fun? I saw this comment two days ago. This is called Black Friday because only in America do people trample each other for sales exactly one day after being thankful for what they already possess. <laughs> Jesus' message was, wake up, people. Wake up. Things are not as nearly as important as you might think. This sort of thing. The people of this chapter said, if you will give us manna the same way that Moses gave our forefathers manna, we will believe that you are the Messiah. They weren't really lying, but they really didn't know their hearts either. If Christ Jesus made them all millionaires, they would still eventually go on to hate him and die without him because not only with the, the food and the gold and the, the life were the exhortations to love God with all one's heart and soul and mind and so on and to serve the Lord. And they didn't want these things. They just wanted the food. They just wanted the, the, the manna. If he had given them manna every day for the rest of their lives, they still would have died despising him because of the other things that he said. They didn't need more earthly things. They needed new hearts. They needed the spiritual things. 
They needed eternal things. And the same exists today. We need the eternal. The more things change, the more they stay the same. The Son of God that day took the people's demand for manna and taught them some eternal truth. So with that as our example, we can say that the miraculous white little tufts of food that Israel found on the ground throughout their wilderness wanderings are a picture of Christ Jesus who said, I am the true bread from heaven. I am the bread of life. The word manna literally means, what is this stuff? What is it? They saw it, they couldn't believe it. What is it? And Moses had to explain. Every piece of what was it comes down to who is it? The Old Testament clarifies that the manna had a nutty taste, like coriander seed, whatever that is. And when the people first started eating it, they were delighted. It had a nice delicate flavor. It cooked very well. It boiled up. They could cook it in different ways. It was a wonderful little food. They liked that. Six mornings a week, they found it like dew lying on the ground. It was in such abundance that it fed several million people for 40 years. Two million to begin with, they started dying off, the children started coming on. Ah, there were several million people fed by this food for a very long time. But the Lord Jesus declared, this is nothing. This is unimportant compared to the food that I can give you. Please notice with me five simple lessons, five simple things. These five have been shared probably thousands of times over the last uh, 2,000 years. First, this manna was desperately needed. The wilderness from Sinai up to the Promised Land and the crossing of the Jordan River is a terrible place to live. It's harsh. It's unkind. It's almost useless real estate. There's very little that grows there. The temperatures can get to 120, 130 degrees. It rains very, very seldom. I mean, once every few years it rains. And here are two million people coming out of Egypt that have to be sustained out there in this nothingness for, should have been several weeks, but ends up being 40 years. 40 years. After they spent a few weeks at Sinai, they became totally dependent upon Jehovah to supply their needs. Whatever they brought out of Egypt was consumed relatively quickly while they waited for the giving of the law. So God miraculously supplied them with water. Miraculous. They were taught to depend on the Lord for daily food. Every once in a while, quail were miraculously given to the people. And that was just a delicacy. That was just a, a special night out. The people were taught not to think that the Lord could not supply. You want quail? You got quail. You want food? You got food. You want water? Here's some water. But Israelites can't live on T-bone steaks and treats of quail alone. 
No one can. We need more than that. There was a need for daily, consistent supply of nutritious food to keep people alive long enough to die natural deaths. And Jehovah supplied that food in the mysterious form of, what is it? Manna. That manna prefigured the Lord Jesus in that he too is absolutely essential to life. He said, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, but they're now dead. Their bones were laid in sandy graves out there in the wilderness of Moab and Sin and Sinai. You can find them out there if the bones are still there. But I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat thereof, he shall live forever. Please listen to one simple Bible verse. 1 John 5.12 says, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It's pretty simple. The Son refers to the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. The person who possesses and is possessed by Christ has life. And they that don't, don't have life. Obviously, that life cannot refer to physical existence. It's got to be something more than that. And it is. This is not the life that the doctor tries to maintain. It's not the life that the coroner tries to explain. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Again, these are the words of the Lord Jesus. The manna in the wilderness was essential to the further existence of the people of Israel. And the Lord Jesus is essential to eternal life of the people of Adam, every one of us. Second, that manna was the gift of God. It was miraculous. It was gracious. The Lord didn't have to do that. You and I have a terrible habit of limiting the Lord. We have a sinful tendency to think that there are things that God cannot do. There's nothing that God cannot do except sin. Indeed, the more things change, the more they stay the same. When it comes to supplying needs, we forget that, uh, as Scripture says, the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Ten thousand hills, if you like. Ten million hills. Christ Jesus fed several thousand people with a handful of fish and bread. He can feed us. The Lord's prophet fed a widow and her son by miraculously extending just a little bit of oil in the bottom of a pot. And it just wouldn't go away. They kept pouring it out and it was there. They kept pouring it out and it was there. Again, on another occasion, there was a tiny bit of meal or grain that just would not run out because of the blessing of the Lord. Jesus once supplied a need by putting a piece of money in a fish's mouth. They caught the fish and paid the debt. Jehovah could have fed these Israelites with a new menu every day for 40,000 years, but he chose not to do that. I'm going to give you the same meal every day. And you're going to take it. And you're going to live by it. 
As it is written, God gave them one item over and over and over again. He gave them bread from heaven in a sense. Verse 31. By the way, there are skeptics, people today, who say this never happened. I mean, talking about the 40 years in the wilderness with the manna every day. That is ridiculous. That could not possibly be. That is a, a fable. They say that the story of the manna is just a, a, a Jewish fable that happens to be written down in the Old Testament. Some of them go on to say they like the moral philosophy of the Lord Jesus Christ, but forget about those fables. Forget about that stuff. Let me point out to you, sir, Mr. Skeptic, that it was Jesus who said this actually took place. Christ Jesus referred to the man in the Old Testament, and he did so not as to say, here's an interesting story, let me use it to illustrate. He says, this is what happened. It did happen. If we reject the statements of the Old Testament, we reject the New Testament. If we reject what Moses did, or what Elijah did, or Daniel, or David, then we're throwing away Christ as well. It's a, it's a single package deal. We get them both. While it may have been a long-running miracle, that manna wasn't even close to being the most important of all miracles. After referring to the manna, the Lord Jesus added, But my Father, the Heavenly Father, giveth you the true bread from heaven. That original manna has never been remanufactured or grown on this earth. Uh, General Mills, uh, Betty Crocker never duplicated the manna. It was a long-term once in all history event. But then, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Mankind has been trying his alchemy for 6,000 years, trying to duplicate the Lord's greatest miracles, raising the dead, instantly healing the sick, feeding thousands. Many people want wilderness food and restoration of life to a dead man, but they refuse eternal salvation. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Just as man can't make gold out of lead, he can't turn physical life into eternal life. Like saving faith, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Something else. That manna was totally satisfying to the heart that wanted to be satisfied. That manna was exactly suited to meet all the cravings and the needs of Israel's hunger. After a while, it didn't satisfy the cravings of Israel's sin and their lusts, 
We want more of those leeks and garlics that we had in Egypt. It met their hunger. It always did. It possessed every vitamin, every mineral, every protein, every carbohydrate, whatever, that they were in need of. It was especially prepared for that task. The Lord designed it to meet those needs. You know, I'll bet none of those Israelites had diabetes or any of those other diseases that we get because of our poor eating habits. In a similar way, but larger way, the Son of God was especially appointed by God to meet our spiritual needs. That is true in you as it is in me. Maybe we're liking this as well. Are, are there things that you ever get hungry for? This one particular thing you just have to have. It happens. There are times when the only thing I crave for my throat is some sort of bubbly liquid. And at other times, coffee is the only thing. I don't want a soda for breakfast. I want some coffee. And at other times, <laughs> just when I go to bed, I take a couple of uh, uh, pills, thyroid pill, and the only thing I want is cold water. Nothing else will do. I don't want a glass of milk then. Uh, uh, coffee? Are you crazy? I want water. There's only one food that the dying soul desires and needs. That is the Savior, the Lord Jesus. Our problem is that we've made ourselves addicted to coffee instead of Christ. Our problem is that we have uh, yearned, learned to yearn for soda instead of the Savior. In our sinfulness, we choose the wrong things. Jesus said, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness. They are dead. This is the bread which came down from heaven. That if a man eat thereof, he shall that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat thereof, he shall live forever. If you think about that original manna, it was highly accessible. Like the work of uh, the milkman. Some of you are way too young. But in my day, as a child, the milkman came to the house every day and put a bottle on the porch. And in Canada, it would freeze. It was such a wonderful thing. Anyway, that's another story. But uh, uh, the milkman came and delivered it. It was there on the porch every day. It wasn't necessary to pack for a week-long hunting trip spending thousands of dollars for equipment to go out and kill an animal that uh, would feed us for a little while. It wasn't like the elusive mushroom hiding among the toadstools that you have to be an expert to distinguish the right from the wrong, the, the good instead of the poison. This manna wasn't growing on the tops of towering palm trees. It was not the work of the child every day to go out and get manna, but any child could have done it. It was that easy. That gift of God was not sold for any price. There was no money, there was no work, there was no social status, there was no church membership necessary to go out and collect manna. 
It was available. After the gathering, the only requirement was that each child of Jacob had to personally eat his own manna. There was no provision for a mother to eat manna on behalf of her daughter unless she was nursing her. Uncles could not eat for their nephews. Fathers could not eat on behalf of their sons. Priests could not eat on behalf of their friends. It may be possible today to donate blood to sustain sustain life in a, a loved one, but still there must be the application of that blood. The life contained in the blood of Jesus Christ cannot be shared with someone without his active consent and participation. Jesus is the gift of God which brings eternal life to a dying soul. But it is only as as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Jesus argued with those rebellious Jews that their nationality, their heritage and their relationship to Abraham and Moses and David did not make them the children of God. Their forefathers, the descendants of Abraham, ate manna in the wilderness, and now they are dead. And similarly, your parents, your parents' church, can't make you a Christian or take you to heaven. Your godly parents can't taste Christ on your behalf. You must come to the cross. You must repent of your sin. You must trust in the blood of Christ. The Lord is being gracious towards you and offering you this manna. You have to take it. You say that your trust for eternal life is in the blood of Christ. I hope that is true. Now let me point you to one additional fact. Israel went out every day and ate more manna. Every day, except the Lord's Day or the Sabbath. They went out every day to eat more manna for about 40 years. It is true that when a sinner comes to Christ, he becomes a new creature, he becomes a child of God, he becomes a part of the family of God. That is all real. But I do not agree with those who say that if you pray or utter a little recitation, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and save me, asking Jesus to redeem you and then never to think about Christ again, This is not salvation. This is not salvation. Those who have new life from Christ daily, lovingly, longingly come back to the Savior again and again and again. Every morning, I need more manna. Lord, more, please. I will not say that your love for the Lord can't rise and fall throughout your lifetime. It does. I can't say that if it's at a point of waning right now that you're not a child of God. But if you've gone for weeks or months without any spontaneous thought of uh, the things of the Lord, if you've gone for weeks without any desire to pray or to serve or to worship, to read the Word of God, To hear the word of God. If you hate the house of God, 
If you have not tasted the manna of the Lord in months, then perhaps you should look at that heart of yours and see if it's genuine. See if it's been redeemed. It is possible to forget the wonderful taste of pure water, polluting it with other things. But if you can't go back and love that taste again, then something is wrong. This morning I ask you to examine whether or not you have tasted Christ by faith. Have you feasted on the true manna from heaven? Is Christ Jesus your Lord and Savior? Are you sure? You can't know for sure. Have you been to Jesus for the food which is eternal? If you have not, humble yourself before God. Plead with the Lord for faith to trust Christ for eternal life. Repent of your wickedness before Him. Turn to the Lord Jesus. Please stand.